I'm going to give you a break. I'm going to let my friend Fassel come up and tell you what's going on in Pakistan. And I'm very honored to call Fassel a disciple, a fellow student of the word, and a fellow soldier. And I told him to just take whatever time the Spirit leads him to share with you what's going on. I hope it will motivate you to pray for the work in Pakistan. It's an extremely important work. Um, it's spreading like crazy. Uh, I won't go into more detail because he's the guy from there. So, Fassel, come on up. Thank you, brother. Good afternoon. <laughs> Wonderful afternoon here in the woods in the middle of Pennsylvania. Thank you, brother, for the wonderful opportunity to share what God is doing in Pakistan. And first of all, I want to say thank you to the Abundant Life Church, Pastor Nick Cook, Pastor Mark, all their staff and the congregation for your prayers and for your encouragement and your money that goes beyond that I cannot even explain in a human term. But we will see how God has used that money to glorify his son in Pakistan. So we've been talking from the book of Habakkuk or Habakkuk, a lot of good stuff to learn. And I just want to start with the, a word of Jesus to encourage us, be the light of Jesus in a dark world. There's a lot of darkness around us. That's why Habakkuk was the beam of hope because his hope resides in Lord Almighty. So our hope is also reside in our Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ. So before we begin to talk what's going on in Pakistan, I want to offer up a prayer for my sake and your sake because I have English as a second language. So I can rely on God, the Holy Spirit, to communicate to you what he's doing and what he's have done. So let us pray. Father, thank you for this wonderful time of fellowship, to eating on your word, to chewing our cud, and taking in your spiritual food for our souls. So Father, thank you for this moment. As you have done so many faithful act on our life around us in us and through us so father bless this time of fellowship and especially what are you doing in pakistan through people simple like who are trusting in you and guide my tongue and my mind and my heart to communicate through your spirit to every individual in this room to Lift them up to remind them that who you are. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We have over 270 titles in the New Testament alone. And we just learned new one, the courier, the messenger, to take the message. And I was just thinking, I said, Jesus simply said, be the light. Why? Because we have to. Because Jesus is the light. And I want to share how we can be light in our own five or six feet or in our own neighbor. So I want to share an example uh, from Pakistan. This is our son Israel. A wonderful, beautiful testimony of God's goodness to us. 
When we were in Israel, God answered our prayer and we named him Israel and he's the only name registered in Pakistan, Israel John. So he have a tough, tough place to grow up. And the reason I put two crosses, when we finish our building, and it was like, you know, without cross, there's no way that you can, you know, amplify who you are. The mosque have their significant way of building, so everybody knows that's mosque. Hindu have their temple in a certain way. Everybody can spot for miles and many other religions. And the church without cross is empty. So we had opportunity to put the cross and it can be seen during the day and at night it glow like that. And a lot of people just look at and some of them saying wow and some of them grind their teeth because it's the message of hope. So Israel was standing and he said, Papa, I want to make a cross. So he's using a one-to-one brick. So we can be a light of Jesus Christ through the message of the cross to the lost and dying world. That's happening in Pakistan. And I want to share, that's a, a beautiful place that God has allowed us to build. That's the school building and plus the church. And at night when we have an opportunity in December or in a resurrection month of our Lord to memorize what have done to play in Pakistan. So we put lights on it. And now our Neighbors are following the same because Jesus is the light, so they are copying Christian way of life, and they are putting lights all over in the street, and uh, Jesus is being glorified. So that's the church building and school building, and lit up sometime, and doing uh, uh, once a year, twice. And what's going on in those buildings, I want to share briefly. We started with the five families, and throughout the 15, 16 years, God has been multiplying. So Christmas and the Resurrection Sunday and the regular is just a beautiful place to worship. And that's a wonderful uh, Christmas Eve party on the Word of God. And then we have a Grace Academy school, which is reaching over 200 children, not only how to read and write, but learning the word of God every day. And we have our beloved sister Patty here. She was with Carrie in Pakistan for two weeks. So we had a great time of fellowship in Pakistan and uh, a lot of great things happened. So I will show later on how God is using Sister Patty in Pakistan. So that's our Grace Academy school going on and uh, new churches. More suffering, more persecution, more bodies of Christ being born and built. So that's one of them, our new church in Lahore. And God just opened that door for us to have the church in that area. And now that is going on. And believer want to say thank you for your prayers. That's one of them, a new church of Grace Bible Church in Pakistan. And many more is happening. And if I can move. And these are the warriors. These are the young team. As I see a young staff here, 
God is calling young men and women and even someone beyond young age. God is sending a message. People are wanted for God's mission. This is the team behind the work that is going on. And uh, we took that photo when we were preparing for youth conference. I've been doing a lot of youth conferences. So they've been going out in the villages and field. And Bible become alive in Pakistan. Like illustration, like Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. You can see a young ox or a donkey working under the yoke to learn how to, you know, prepare the ground. You see a man who's working the field and throwing the seed to prepare the crop. So they go in the field and then talk about Jesus and he come live over there. So a lot of young men going out, that one of them pastor, a lot of baptism happening. And that's just one of them. Uh, example, I have a video. If I get some time, I will share with you. A lot of baptism happening in Pakistan because the grace of God is just make very clear. And I'm very thankful. There was a time when I was confused. I had a no clue that who I just believed as the son of God, but had a no real deep understanding. And then God answer and send someone from America to meet my need to make this big book very simple to understand. A lot of great things happening in Pakistan with the baptism and uh, next photo, move. That's one of them youth conference. And uh, that time we were run out of a room and I was teaching the basics book, as you can see in the next photo. That's a, a couple, which a young man and woman who just newly got married. They came and they learn from the book of Ruth how to be an example in the society where you live. By your action, by your service to your mother-in-law or to your husband or into the field where you work. So that was a beautiful. And then... Uh, at second conference also, I've been teaching the basics book in Pakistan. It's been blessing a lot of young men. A lot of young men coming forward and accepting Jesus Christ and even want to go to serve the Lord. So praise God. And outreach is increasing. A lot of things happening. Uh, from past six months, I had only just a brief way to share what is going on. What is going on? And so far, Sister Patty came, Bob Perkin came. So a lot of good things happening in Pakistan. So this is one of them, our outreach uh, ministry we do. And then the bricks for books. Books for bricks. I was reading in Hebrew in my mind. <laughs> because Urdu goes right to left. So I have, you know, advantage to say that. I was reading from right to right or right to left. So books for bricks, a new ministry we started with the Sister Patty and a lot of kids are being educated. Food is provided, having fun of their life and the things that they never, as Pastor Gene expressed, what we ate out there is a luxurious food. Not too many people have even access to do that. 
So when they get like a simple uh, fried daddy or they call samosa and the juice, they are very happy. They are very content that somebody took a time to pay attention to them. So God is just gracious, and these are things happening. Kids are learning, and while they learn, sometimes they take nap <laughs> because it's hot. I, 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 I was feeling so cold because I just came back from 115 Fahrenheit weather. So I've been drinking a lot of coffee to keep me warm, and but sometimes makes me rattlesnake. <laughs> Anyway, so a lot of children are being educated in Pakistan. The reason because this is what Jesus said to us. Whatever we did, one of the least of my brothers and sisters we have done to Jesus. It's a beautiful message. This message has been just going on. Carrie's studying and she's keep on bringing and Pastor Jean was pondering on it and hammering on it. We are the image bearer of God. We are on his image. It's reminding me when Jesus was tested by the Pharisees and everybody, and they said, what should we do to the, the Caesar Augustus? How should we do our duties? He said, give me the coin. They brought the coin, and he just said, whose face is on this? Caesar. Whatever is due to Caesar, give it to Caesar. And in essence, he was saying, who image you are made? What is belong to God as you are the teachers of the day? And it's just bringing back, we are the image of God made in his image to reflect the light of Jesus Christ. And the love is the best tool to do things that beyond anybody can explain. So the food sustaining ministry is going on as you have heard the news. The flooding, it just, I can't even express. I have seen some videos I could share, but I don't want it. Thousands of bodies just floating on the oceans like a garbage bag. Animals, food, people, houses, they were just built last year, they are gone. It's been crazy in Pakistan and they were saying, the wrath of God is upon Pakistan. So the flooding happened, but God is using everything to bring the food of life, Jesus Christ, into the life of people in Pakistan. So a lot of people are being benefited with the physical food, so we can bring the spiritual food because Jesus is the bread of life. And these are just the ministry going on in different places I just want to briefly touch on. And even our forsaken Hindu tribes, they live almost uh, in the Sindh area and also nearby Indian border. They call Marwadi. They are trained very good with the horses. They have beautiful horses and camels. Some of them are calling me. They said, come, when the flood pass, we want you to have a horse ride. I said, I don't want to break my back yet. <laughs> they are fast. Maybe Pastor Gene, we will get together and go sometime there. So those are the... Uh, the Marwadi tribe, and they send a thank you to all of the body of Christ here in the U.S. for helping them. Some of them lost everything. So we've been continually helping them with the food, 
sheltering, can whatever we can. So God has been faithful. And I hide so long under the cliff. Like uh, Elijah, he was in the cave hiding and God shook him up. He said, get out. The earthquake came, the fire came, and this came, and then God spoke in a very soft voice. I was in my cave for a little bit and thinking, if I get, you know, more famous, more you famous in Pakistan, more you are danger. I don't want to be famous, but got famous, so I, I teach on John 3.16, I said, that's a good way to get killed. John 3.16 in English, in Urdu, and put it on my YouTube channel, two TV station, without my consent, put on their TV, and it's viewing every week three times, uh, one time, three times a day for three days a week. So they are putting videos, and I said, okay, let her, let her roll. If that's how God want to work, so it be. So... Thousands of thousands of people are viewing the gospel of John, John 3.16. And I said, okay, Lord, I was hiding in my cave. Now I'm outside of the cave. So if you send on a rocky mountain, you provide the shoes. If you are sending me on the TV station, you will provide me with a bullet jacket <laughs> or something. So anyways, so this is going on in Pakistan. I just want to briefly say thank you. A lot of other things happening, and uh, as Pastor Gene, it's just profound. We need to be honest. Sometimes I get so frustrated just traveling, and then I just sit back and say, wow, I have a privilege to work the greatest, the greatest man on this planet who own everything, and he provide the means to go. What's wrong with me? Did I lost? What happened? What happened? And then the, you know, the question is in within in me. You know what to do. <laughs> you know what to do when you go all by God. So I can't stay home. So we will be preparing to go back to Pakistan. I got back last week. I was getting on the same time, but in Pennsylvania, it's a, again, a different time, it's a different country. <laughs> so anyways, pray that the next, a lot of good things happening, working on sister's book, the honor, my father's honor, and also new basics book, and that's going to be in the hands of many, many. Oh, I forgot. Thank you, Holy Spirit. The WhatsApp. A lot of people just, you know, do family FaceTime. God is born opening doors. And I have over 200 groups. Each group contain over 256 people. And the message goes out. Over 10 nations receiving the Urdu Bible teaching. And it's been an awesome journey. So my time is up. I think I got 2 minutes, 30 seconds. <laughs> so I want to share this video of... And if you see, I'm dunking people very fast. It doesn't mean that they are going to run away. I just speed up the process <laughs> so you can see the whole thing. Carrie was saying, why are you so fast? I said, I was worried they're going to change their mind, but they're not. Once they are in my hand, they're not going to change their mind. They're going down and up. 
So let's watch that, and I think I will be done. So thank you, sir, again for the opportunity. Oh, yeah, he's playing. I didn't give him a warning. Okay. That's one of my favorite, favorite worship song. Probably it's your too. Holy Spirit, let it roll. Let her roll. <laughs> it's just teaching us the five words we just learned about faith. The one of them, the last one was wait. <laughs> wait upon the media man <laughs> this time. But the rest of them? Uh-huh. This is live TV. <laughs> <laughs> I asked Jane. Just let our congregation know how we can support you because I don't even know who to make the check payable to. Okay, you want me to do that? Yeah, please. Okay. Thank you. Okay, I I never done that before, but thank you. I requested. Okay. You. So Pastor Mark said, please let the let the congregation know how can you guys or y'all y'all can support Pakistan. <laughs> y'all or Yane? Yeah. Huh? Yuen's. Okay. So Pastor Mark asked to let you know how to support. So Grace Bible Church Pakistan, if you want to make any donation, GBCP briefly, and uh, contact Pastor Mark, and uh, that's it. And we have our home address, I think, here. Not the home address. The giving address. Also, we have the website called Grace Bible Church Pakistan, gbcppakistan.org. If you want to look it up, and we do send out some newsletter. So our new newsletter is coming up if you like to get more insight. It's not a revelation, but it's insight what we don't put on the Internet. So it's an individual newsletter that you can receive. And the names and the location that we don't share on the Internet for the safety of everybody. Yeah. My secretary, my honey bunny, said you can sign up on the front page on the website. So, again, thank you, sir. Thank you, Brother Mark, uh, Mark and Brother Nick, and all of y'all. <laughs>
So it's gonna work. Okay, sir, it's all your. Thank you, Faisal. I know that he could have taken a lot more time because there's so much more going on. He and I spend quite a bit of time together. Somehow, in the plan of God, there was a slip up, and he and I both ended up in the same area. And that provides us a lot of opportunity to get together, and we have a lot of fellowship, and uh, we laugh a lot, we joke a lot, but we get serious too. And uh, so I know that there's much, much more going on than what he was even able to share with you there. All right, let's, uh, what do we have? About 20 minutes, let's uh, come back to our little book of Habakkuk. Uh, actually, I was going to do this first. You should have given him a little bit of time to see if anyone had questions. Anybody have a question you'd like to ask Fassel? No one? No one has any questions for you. <laughs> if you do, just go up, talk to him, and he'll share with you more what's going on. When God judges a nation, he prepares the believers in advance. And he prepares those believers not just so that they can endure what's coming, but so that they can bear the message to be the couriers, to be the ones, as Vassal said, to be the light to the world. And I believe that God has been preparing us for some time. We've had much opportunity to be prepared to play the part that we're to called on to, to play at this time. So let's just ask God's blessing. We'll get back into the woes as Habakkuk is now fulfilling the first part of his mission, which is to convey the message of judgment, and then he'll convey the message of good news. So let's just pray and ask God's blessing on this time. Now, Father, as we come back together, we are thankful for the work that you're doing in Pakistan, and not only in Pakistan, but all over the world. We know that the word is spreading. We know that there are many, many precious souls that are coming to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that there are faithful servants who have chosen to leave this country and leave the blessings leave the luxuries, leave the comforts that we have in this country, to live under harsh conditions, to face persecution, to face possible even death, the laying down of their lives for the precious task of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Help us, Father, to pray for those people. Help us always, ha always to have that world vision and that missionary mentality that while we may not be the ones who go, we need to be the ones who pray 
And we need to be the ones who send. We need to be the ones who support. So help us all to stir ourselves up and to play a greater part in reaching this world with the message of grace and truth through Jesus Christ. Now as we open your word once again, may God the Holy Spirit bring honor and glory to our Savior. I pray that you will hide me behind the cross. Let Jesus Christ be seen and magnified, exalted and adored. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in the woe section, which is kind of a grim section of the book of Habakkuk because first he's told in the first chapter what's going to happen to Judah. And he's told that God is going to judge the evil of Judah by bringing the Babylonians. And the Babylonians are going to be the instrument of God's wrath on the nation, on the unsaved, and the instrument of discipline to those who are believers. And then he is given the message to the empire of the Babylonians of the judgment that, it, that God is going to bring on them. And so we're in that section now. And as I said earlier, it's one of those woe sections of the Bible. But I just want to take us to a couple of other passages before we wrap this section up so that we can see that it's one of several in Scripture. And if you'll hold your place here and turn with me to Isaiah chapter 3. The woe section in Isaiah really extends for a couple of chapters. I'm just going to begin in Isaiah chapter 3. He says in verse 1, For behold, the Lord, the Lord of hosts, that is, the Lord of armies. Whenever the Lord of hosts is mentioned, He's dealing with the issue of spiritual warfare. It's the spiritual conflict that rages behind the scenes that we often refer to as the angelic conflict. It's a spiritual war that has no treaties. It has no timeouts. It is constantly raging behind the scenes. So the Lord of hosts takes away from Jerusalem and from Judah the stock and the store, the whole supply of bread, the whole supply of water, the mighty man and the man of war, the judge and the prophet, the diviner and the elder, the captain of fifty, the honorable man, the counselor and the skillful artisan, the expert enchanter. And I think we can see something of where we are in America today in these following words. I will give them children to be their princes and babies to rule over them. The people will be oppressed for everyone by another and everyone by his neighbor. The child will be insolent toward the elder and the base will be insolent toward the honorable. When a man takes hold of his brother in the house of his father, saying, you have clothing, you be our ruler. Let these ruins be under your power. And in that day he will protest, saying, I cannot cure your ills, for in my house there is neither food nor clothing, 
Do not make me a ruler of the people. In other words, what he's saying is that conditions in Jerusalem, and remember again, this is over a hundred years before it happened. This is written by Isaiah in about 740 B.C. It was not until about 605 B.C. that the Babylonians came down on Jerusalem. So how much time did they have? How much grace did God give them? How long did He delay His judgment even though the words of the prophet Isaiah would be fulfilled at the appointed time, as always in God's perfect plan. But the point that he's making is this. If you even have a set of clothes on your back, if you even have a small morsel to eat, you are going to be looked at as one of the rich and wealthy, one to be honored and admired, and someone to put in charge over others. He says in verse 8, For Jerusalem stumbled and Judah is fallen, because their tongue and their doings are against the Lord. By the way, could I just point out to you that when Israel was in line with God, if we think back to the 10th century B.C. and we think of the days of David, there was no one in the world that would challenge Israel. David and his armies took on every enemy surrounding them, defeated them decisively, put all of them under tribute, and everyone in the known civilized world knew, you don't mess with Judah. And then the decline began. And something that David started that probably seemed very small, something that the kings of Israel were warned not to do, the multiplication of wives... By the way, because of all the other craziness going on, there are now federal judges who are saying we're going to have to okay polygamy. Because after all, if women can marry women and men can marry men, and we even have one woman that married her dog, and I mean it goes on and on, the insanity. And so it's like all the rules are now being broken. All the rules are being thrown out. David had 30 wives. A lot of people are not aware of that. And we're going to be studying in our victors or victim study in Arizona. We're going to use the life of David because you can see them all. You can see the wise and the fools. You can see the strong and the weak. You can see every characteristic, really, that you can imagine. And you can see big, strong, powerful men who ended up like a groveling infant. And you can see a broken man who has no sense of self-pride, and then suddenly by the end, he's a warrior. And it simply illustrates to us that we have that choice every day, whether we're going to crawl or whether we're going to bring glory and honor to the Lord Jesus Christ. So Israel was strong under the rulership of David. Solomon comes along, and isn't it true, those of us who have children and grandchildren, they tend to take our worst traits and multiply them a hundredfold. And so Adam or uh, David uh, had 300 or 30 wives, and Solomon came along and he said, Well, I'll have 700 wives and 300 porcupine, uh, concubines. <laughs> right? So he's got a thousand. 
David bought, brought peace. In the peace came prosperity. Solomon became extremely rich and wealthy. His wisdom was known throughout the world, but the world now began to perk up and look at the wealth that had been laid up by David for Solomon. And with Solomon, the, the decline began. And then after his death, you remember that the nation divided into the southern and the northern kingdom. And Jeroboam and Rehoboam are fighting. And in the northern kingdom, they have a series. I believe it's 17, if I remember the number rightly. Kings, one after another after another, that are evil until in 722, 20 years after Isaiah wrote this, the Assyrians invade the northern kingdom. They carried the people away into Assyria. The poor Jews who were left ended up intermarrying with Gentiles who came flooding in from other countries. The migrants started coming across the border. They diluted the faith and the dedication and the devotion. And so you have a new race called the Samaritans. And then, of course, the time came when Nebuchadnezzar overthrew Nineveh, and then his son rose to power in Babylon, and Babylon begins to eye the riches and the treasures of Judah. So all of this is being played out in the time in which you and I live, and so he's warning them of the things that are going to come because of the decline of their spiritual life. America, with a strong, vibrant church is an undefeatable nation. America with a weak, anemic church will be defeated by rising powers around the world. So it says in verse 9, the look on their countenance, witnesses against them, they declare their sin as Sodom, they do not hide it. Woe to their soul. Now the word woe is a word that we need to understand. It can be spoken two ways. It can be spoken with great compassion. In other words, something terrible is going to happen to you and we sense and feel the tragedy of that which is about to happen. It's also a word that can be screamed. In fact, there are some who say that the word woe can only carry its real meaning when it is screamed out. Woe. It indicates awful doom and destruction. Woe to their soul, for they have brought evil on themselves. Remember that I mentioned uh, yesterday, I believe, and it's illustrated there in the early part of Romans chapter 1, that when the Bible talks about the wrath of God, or the Bible talks about coming under the curse of God, this is not God up there nursing a uh, vicious, brutal uh, attitude toward the people. It is God allowing the people to reap what they have sown. The wrath of God is in the consequences of decisions that go against Him. Because God interwove within the natural world the relationship of His spiritual principles. We refer to it as natural law. And part of that natural law is when the creature rebels against the Creator, then creation rebels against the creature. 
Do you wonder why some nations go to a point of rebellion and suddenly there are floods and suddenly there are earthquakes and it almost looks like with the uh, scheme of self-destruction that's going on, then all of a sudden the droughts start happening, the floods start happening, the storms start happening, and everything else. And we're being told that it's, of course, global warming, even though it's getting colder. We're not getting warmer, we're getting colder. Why all of this reaction in nature? Because interwoven into the very laws of creation itself is the principle that when man rebels against his maker, against his sovereign, then the world rebels against the sovereign that God placed over them. And that's exactly what's happening in this country. So they have brought evil upon themselves, and then he'll bring another woe up in verse 11 woe to the wicked it shall be ill with them but the point I want you to see because this begins the series of woes that runs on through the end of chapter 5 and I'm not going to read them all the point I want you to get is verse 10 say to the righteous that it will be well with them for they shall eat the fruit of their doing Remember yesterday, I used the illustration of you cooking yourself a meal. You're the one in the kitchen. You're the one that has the recipe. You put the ingredients in it. You cook it up, bake it up, do whatever you're going to do. And then you sit down to eat it and you say, this stinks. Well, who do you blame? You don't blame the ingredients. You don't blame the stovetop. You don't blame the, the pan that you put it in. You blame the person who put the ingredients together. If you're the cook and you hate the food, whose accountability is it? Because we reap what we sow. Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 6, Be not deceived, for God is not mocked. The word mocked there literally means to have the wool pulled over your eyes. You can't fool God. You're not going to deceive him even for a split second. And therefore he says, for whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. It's a law that is, as I have said before, interwoven into creation itself. Say to the righteous that it will be well with them, for they shall eat the fruit of their doings. Here's something for you to contemplate. God's judgment is on America. God's judgment on America will intensify as America intensifies their hostility to God. All of the things that are being promoted by our leadership today are evil. They're a defiance against the Word of God. They're a defiance against the grace of God. They're a defiance against the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the more we push to get these things through, the greater will be the judgment that's going to fall on the United States of America. I don't know what will happen in the next six months to a year, but I do know this. In the next six months, 12 months, Two years, you and I are going to eat the fruit of our doings. How is your meal going to taste? What kind of recipe have you been using? Is it going to be something that you're going to enjoy? Is it going to be something that will be a blessing to you and others? Or is it going to be something that you're deeply going to regret? Because we can't escape. 
It's inevitable. And the reason that the prophet Isaiah is sending this message out in the midst of all the woes and all the warnings and all the terrible things that are going to happen, he gave the people of Judah and Jerusalem over a hundred years to decide how it would taste when they ate the fruit of their own doing. You and I may not have that much time left, but I can tell you this. Any change in our mental attitude, any change in our conduct, any greater devotion, any more serious attitude to the Word of God, any greater obedience is going to change your experience in the days ahead. That's how vital it is. Turn with me to another passage, Matthew 23. The greatest woe passage in the entire Bible. In Matthew 23, the Lord Jesus is teaching in the temple. And I want to begin in verse 11 and 12 when He said to the people, He who is greatest among you shall be your servant. You want something that will make a difference in your life in the days ahead? There it is. You want to be great in God's sight? Become a servant. Verse 12, whoever exalts himself will be humbled. He who humbles himself will be exalted. In other words, follow the example of our Lord and Savior who Paul talks about in Philippians chapter 2 when he says, let this mind be in you. By the way, it's a command, it's an imperative, but it's translated with the let because it's passive. What does that mean? A passive imperative. You know, generally you think of a command to be something you, you've got to get up and go do. This is a command to let it happen to you. Allow yourself to be humbled. Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus, who although He eternally existed in the form and the essence of God, did not consider equality with God something to cling to for Himself. He laid aside His robes of glory and He humbled Himself and came down to this earth found in the form of a man and even having gone from God on the throne to man in a manger, born to die, He still humbled Himself even further. We have no way of bridging the gap in our mind of what it meant for Him to step down from His throne into this world, but then look at Him in His earthly life. Here He is born to a peasant family. Here He is laid in a stone manger. Here He lives in obscurity in Nazareth. He grows up known as the carpenter's son. And then what does He do? He goes from even a respected position within Nazareth as He began teaching and they said, isn't this the son of Joseph? Isn't this the carpenter? This is the guy that fixed our wagon. This is the guy that fixed my plow last year. This is the guy that did such great work. Anyone who owned a table, a chair, anything that He made for them, can you imagine how meticulous and how perfect that work would have been done? 
And they respected him and they admired him. And then he stood up and took the mantle of the ministry that God had given him. And he steps down and down and down until finally he stands there before Pilate and the people are screaming, crucify him. He humbled himself to the point of death. Oh, but that's not enough. It's not enough just to die. He humbled himself to the point of death as a criminal. Only the worst criminals, the most hardened criminals, were put on a cross. And Barabbas, the rebellious, the uh, Antifa of his day, if you will, a murderer, a thief, is released from his cross so that Jesus can die on his cross. That's humility. So he says, humble yourself and you'll be exalted. Paul goes on to tell us there in Philippians chapter 2 that as he humbled himself, even so he was given a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord of the glory of God. Why? Because his exaltation is commensurate to his humility. He humbled himself more than anyone ever did. Therefore, he is exalted more than anyone ever will be. Now comes the message. And I use this to show you that the prophet Isaiah spoke it. The prophet Habakkuk spoke it. The Lord Jesus Christ spoke it. And as I read you from Dr. MacArthur's letter to Gavin Newsom, today pastors need to start speaking it. We need to proclaim woe on this nation. There is judgment coming. The wrath of God is going to fall on this nation. And there's only one thing that could deliver it, and that would be a mass awakening and a mass revival. Awakening is for the unbeliever. Revival is for the believer. We need repentant believers so that they come back to focusing on the mission that God has given us so that we can wake up those who are dead in their trespasses and sins. Back in the early days of our nation, God gave to the United States a series of great awakenings. Most people are aware of one, but there were actually a series of them that broke out in different places. One was the Haystack Revival, where a group of six or seven young men decided to meet together at a haystack, and they would pray at that haystack for God to open the door to revival in this country and to stir the churches and awake them up. And they kept meeting, and they kept praying, and they kept meeting and praying until finally that great revival broke out under men like Jonathan Edwards and others, George Whitfield, and spread across the length and the breadth of the land. I want you to listen to what Jesus pronounces woe on in the scribes and the Pharisees. They were the corrupt leaders of their day. They were to be the spiritual leaders of the nation. And he uses a most awful word, and it's a word that I hope and pray will never be used of us. He repeats it over and over and over so we get the point. Not just woe, but woe to the hypocrites. Verse 13, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. 
That's happening in our churches today. In many churches, people are not hearing the clear and simple gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're being told, you've got to do this, you've got to do that. You have to give up something. You've got to give so much money, whatever it may be. And the reason that these woes are so important is because people will never wake up to the good news until they know the bad news. You know, Paul in the book of Romans gives the bad news first. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He does it in such a concise, compressed way that it's absolutely amazing. We all know Romans 3.23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's bad news. But oftentimes we don't know what comes next. It's kind of like John 3.16. We know John 3.16. We don't know John 3.17, 18, and 19. And they're important. Because the good news is only good when you understand how bad the bad news really is. So all of sin and fall short of the glory of God, without even stopping, He moves right into being justified freely by His grace. By the way, if you've come under the influence of anyone who tells you that God only picks certain people to go to heaven and basically says to hell with the rest, John 3, 23 and 24 blows that idea right out of the water because you have to ask yourself grammatically, who is the antecedent? Who is he speaking about? Who is he referring to? Let me repeat it for you again. For all have sinned. How many people does that include? Are there any exceptions? Are there any people that don't fall into that category? All there means all, right? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being, all of those being, justified by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. He includes everyone. He's saying, in essence, Christ died for all. He's saying that all are potentially savable. All have the gospel preached to them. Preach the gospel to all nations was our commission. And then he says, they all may be justified. Well, I'm only getting started in the woes here and my time's up. I'm actually, you've missed five minutes of cookie time because of me going over. So I'm going to stop here and we'll be back in... Uh, 25 minutes. Thanks, Father, for your grace. Bless even this short time of looking into your word and carry us on further as we come back uh, in a little bit of time. Thank you again so much for this church and their marvelous care and grace and hospitality to us all. We thank you for them in Jesus' name. Amen.